0: Okay, let's have some fun tonight. This is it. Thank you guys so much for uh, <laughs> for being around through all these the different classes. Is it okay, Andy? Am I good? Wow, Oh, that's here. Um. Yeah. This, this has been. I, I hope. I don't know. I hope it's been helpful for you. It might not even seem helpful now, but you'll see one day when people ask you questions about. Your Bible and how you got your Bible and how you can trust your bible you 're not going to be like what like you 'll have something where you can at least start the conversation and Remember, hopefully, something we've learned from this class, from our manuscripts and from canon and so forth. But tonight, as we're ending our class, we're just going to do uh, translations and which Bible translations should we use, Bible translations we shouldn't use, what's the difference between different translations, there are so many of them, are they, you know, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Uh, So, yeah, we'll just have some fun with that tonight. I'm just, again... If we were serious about this, it would probably take a week's worth of classes, like you know, six or seven classes, to really do it justice just for this kind of thing. But again, we're just going to condense it into our one hour or hour and 15 minutes, whatever, however long it takes us. So hopefully it will, again, give you just some insight, help and as we think about Bible and Bible translations. Do you guys like your translations? What do you guys read? A-S-B-A-S-B-A-S-B. ASB, ASB, why? King James. King James. <laughs> why? <laughs> because everybody else is. Because you told me. <laughs> because I told <don't> even... <laughs> you. Ah, I, that's I scary. Asked, I, I, asked yeah. the I did. Well, that's, you know. What do you uh, think my about opinion? Uh, I Besides the Greek and Hebrew, yeah. uh, that, that's really—they're really the best. But I do really like the English Standard Version, New American Standard, King James—that uh, the more formal equivalents, which we'll be talking about tonight. You're going to know what formal equivalence means and dynamic equivalence. You know, you're going to know what that means when we're done with this class. And we are going to be looking at different scripture. I think probably everybody here has King James. We won't be looking at King James tonight. Um, for we're just comparing comparative purposes. I'm using ESV. Um, But NIV, does anybody have NIV here tonight with them? Joy? I have.
1: I I might have
0: a version. Okay, if you have the NIV version. Nobody has the NLT, the New Living Translation, do they? But I'm going to ask you to go on your phone for that. So, um, yeah, it is important for us, and it depends also what you want. Just let me say at the outset here, uh, Bible translation, what, I'm not going to get into the history of it, but how we get our English translations are you have team, translation teams and they're made up of scholars, Hebrew, Greek, uh, theologians, most of them. And, and you have to be careful because they have different, um, sometimes different emphasis in doctrine and so on and so forth. So translation team, most of them want to be true. And this is the truth. Want to be true to the original Hebrew and Greek. So, whether you have a New American Standard or an NIV, it's not like NIV translation teams are trying to say, we don't want to be accurate, <laughs> you know, we, we just want people to be able to read it. And that. They're not doing that. And frankly, there's a lot of crossover. So, we'll talk about the ESV as a word for word translation and the NIV kind of more thought for thought translation. There's places where the NIV is straight out of the Greek almost, and ESV's not. And then there's other places where the ESV um, kind of commentates a little bit on certain passages where the NIV doesn't. So it, there's a lot of good versions. I don't want to just you know just say oh, don't don't read this or don't read that. There are right there are a few that we'll talk about in that way, but a lot of it is. Your comfortability, if how how it reads for you, your reading level, you know your your interest, how much work you want to put into it, and you know, that's gonna that probably sounds funny right now, but it's really true. There there are versions that just kind of translate everything for you, try to so you don't even have to think about it. But um, if you want to stay closer to the Greek, there's definitely versions for that. If if you want accuracy and clarity, there's versions like that. So I don't know. <sighs> I'm probably confusing you more than helping you now <laughs> so far. <laughs> but these translations, team, they, they take the, the manuscripts, Hebrew and Greek, and they translate them. Now, within that, they have different philosophies or different approaches to translating. And that's, how, that's why we have these different categories. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Let me pray, and then we'll get into that. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. We thank you for your precious word, Lord God. And I just pray that you would be with us tonight. Just, um, once again, help us. Give us wisdom um, and understanding, Lord, of, of your precious word. And do thank you for all those uh, that you have given that gift to be able to know Hebrew and Greek and be able to translate that into different languages while staying true, as, as, as true as possible to the originals, Lord, so we can Read your word in our language. So Lord, we do thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah. Um, I gave you this little translation chart. We're not really going to use this, but it is helpful. Uh, you know where I found this, of all places? At Barnes & Noble. You know, just like at Barnes. <laughs> all right, Leslie. Um, yeah, and I looked at it. I was like, Man, this is pretty cool. So I got a couple of them. I was like, yeah, nice. Thanks. So. you yeah. um, so I, yeah, and that's it, a good uh, up here. This little slide up here has the th- different translations, and you know the kind of the, the philosophies or the approaches to translating, and how closely they match up. So it really depends on what you want. For the most part, again, I am going to warn you about some so-called translations to stay away from. But generally speaking, well, we don't want to get haughty and say, ah, I'm a King James only guy. <laughs> if you read anything, <laughs> about... <laughs> he's the only guy with a King James. That's I but King James, James is wonderful. James <laughs> haughty. Yeah, he's like, well, you know, I'm just an ESV guy. You know, that's... Back in the day, it was New American Standard. If you yeah. were in the 90s, that's... Yeah. everybody had the New American. That's how I was introduced to it, because it's more word for word. It's literal. You almost read the Greek, you're not. Like a literal translation is, is an interlinear Bible, and they're just, you can't, if you try to read interlinear, you're just gonna go cuckoo. You'll see it tonight, because we're, we're gonna read from the Greek and then compare with NIV and ESV. So, anyway, just let me get you started with some of the approaches that they take when they trans, translate from the Hebrew and Greek. Um, the first one, and I think it's on your outline, is the formal equivalence. That's what it's called. That's a philosophy, that's a, um, a, an approach, a method, a theory. Of, of translating uh, the original to English. More, they say, word for word. Uh, King James Version, New King James. English Standard, New American Standard. Legacy Standard Bible, that's MacArthur. It's, it's um, kind of updating the New American Standard. And that's kind of really popular right now, Legacy Standard. These all, and there are others as well. There, there are several others. Um, But they kind of – the new revised standard version. Now, I would tell you to stay away from the new revised standard. The translation's very good, but the liberals got a hold of it. So it's like the World Council of Churches uses the new revised standard. And they've changed everything, the pronouns and gender inclusive, and it's all – it's a mess. And that's another thing I want to talk to you about, just mention it, um, because we're living in a day where the whole – political we used to call it politically correct but now it's a critical race LGBTQ they have found their way into every nook and cranny in every area including Christian publishing so we do want to be careful um, and I, I I'm just want to be cautious because I know there's still good versions but a lot of them are being infiltrated by this so you're finding more gender inclusive and it's not all gender inclusive is bad, and you'll see that. But when they start messing with the, with the the pronouns in terms of God, he, she, God, that kind of thing, we're in big trouble like that. So, so new revised standard is something you wouldn't uh, want to stay away from. But anyway, back to the formal equivalence. Here's the deal. This translation approach... Is concerned with form. It really is. It's. 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 They want to stick as closely to the Hebrew and Greek as possible. They. They really do. And I like that. That's why we like it. Because, you know, this is what was written in Greek, and this is as close as they're. They're trying to stay as close as they can. Nobody can stay perfectly close. Everybody. It's always going to be difference um, along the line. So. When it comes to the to the to the grammar, to the syntax, you know, to, to the words, they want to try to do word for word as close as they can to the original word, um, even if there might be other words that they could use to bring brings across the meaning uh, more clearly for us. These guys want to stick with the word. They try not to change the word order as much as possible, but that's impossible. You'll see that in a minute. But um, the goal for formal equivalence, most of you have these Bibles here tonight is to stay as close to the original in form and in meaning they still want to you know bring across that that uh, trust and it is very trustworthy um, translating what was written down that's a big deal the other big umbrella philosophy approach is dynamic or functional equivalency and the big one there is the NIV there are other uh, Bibles the Christian Standard Bible. That's CSV. I put Christian Standard version, but it's actually Christian Standard Bible. It's from Southern Baptist, but they want to be very readable and you know, accurate. It's not that these guys on this translation committee, some of them do both. Like, you know, there's like Bill Mounts, he'll be on the NIV, but then on the ESV, NLT. So, you know, they're the the translators for the most part are concerned with getting the truth across. And some people just want to help us better understand that so it's more clear, that so we don't have to do as much work looking up words or trying to, what's that mean? They'll kind of explain that to you. So that's that's what they're trying to do. But for the formal equivalents, we're not going to do that. We're just going to stick to the text, which is wonderful. That's, they're being very true to the text in that way. But dynamic or functional. Um, they are concerned with with the author's intent. What what was when Paul wrote that? What was he meaning to say? And it's not they're not being subjective. They want to convey it in a clear way, but in a um, accurate way as well. So NIV, when it first came out, I don't know, it was in the 70s. It was very concerned with doing that. So 1978, I think. Um, 84, there was a you know, update and then ninety-five, but I think after ninety-five, like two thousand eighteen, some people are concerned about the NIV because of some of the language, of gender um, inclusive, or some of the pronoun things. So um, that that's just a, a little caution there. But they they uh, they're designed to convey the meaning that the author was intending and to express that. Um, in a way that's clear clear for us, but also accurate. So accurate and readable, that's a big deal. And that's important, that, that's fun. There's nothing wrong with wanting people to, to know that in English. So for example, here's what we're going to do. Um, who has the NIV? NIV, Or you can get it on your computers. Does uh, Gloria have NIV? Is it going there? Don't be ashamed. No, that's, that's a, no I have it. NIV? OK, NIV. Uh, John 17.4, let's go there. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the Greek as it's translated. So this is what an interlinear does. It has the Greek text. And then underneath it, it has the word for that. So you're reading how it's written in Greek. And Greek is not concerned. They don't have the same kind of syntax we do in sentence structure you know, and endings. It's It's different in that way. So when I read it, you're going to be like, It's going to sound like gibberish to you. But this is what the translators see, and they say, okay, now how do we put this as close as we can to the original so we can actually understand it in our language? So um, John 17, 4, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. We're just going to do little snippets or parts of verses. We're not going to do big sections. But I just want you to see the the differences. And this is um, the idea kind of between the, the, the formal equivalents and um, dynamic equivalents, and this is very subtle, but um, I hope you'll, you'll be able to see it. So here's the Greek of what I'm reading from John 17:4. That p- portion of that. Um, who, who has NIV? Will you read NIV John 17:4? I have
1: brought you glory on earth by by finishing the work you gave me to do. Okay. And
0: not five That's yeah, just four. That's good. Okay. So by finishing, okay. All right, so here's the Greek. The Greek says, I thee glorified on the earth the work I finished, which you have given me to I should do. (laughs) Okay, now we have to take that and say, how are we going to make this readable? So what, what the ESV would translate that this way. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. See, I be glorified on earth the work I finished which you have given me that I should do. That's the Greek. And then you have, I've glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you've given me to do. And the NIV, remember, they want to make it, it keep it accurate, but a little more readable. So, Mary Beth read, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you've given me to do. What did I call you? Beth Beth Ann the wrong name first, the second, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, fine.
1: we're good. What did I call you? It's fine.
0: Beth Ann. Okay, so. You're good. But you see that subtle at that point, now there are, there are other places where there's big differences, but this is just more readable. So if you like it more readable and understandable, the NIV is trying to make that for you guys. Make it make it be that way for you. They still are concerned with accuracy. It's not like we're going to sacrifice accuracies for readability. No, 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 no. That's a misconception. Um, I know if we're reformed, we have our version, as we say, but we, we need to be careful because there's the, it's not necessarily like that. However, the versions we do use are actually closer to the Greek, and you'll see that. But did you see that? I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you've completed me to do. NIV. That's easier to understand. I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you've given me to do. Very close. Just subtle, maybe a little more readable in that way. That's kind of the difference um, going on. How about John seventeen twenty 20 again? Um, and the high priestly prayer. Let me, let me read the Greek... First, get ready. <laughs> Not behalf of these, neither I pray alone, but also on behalf of those who believe through those word of them on me. <laughs> so you're a translator. They say, well, "How do we stay close to the Greek, and how do we make it readable and keep the integrity of NIV?" Gloria, I was going to call her Grace. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Okay, so he's talking to the apostles. He's praying about them. Look, uh, my, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for... Those who will believe in me through their messages. They preach the gospel. You believe on me and pray for all those who will believe in me, and that's that's a good readable translation. ESV says, "I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word." So, just a slight difference, but still understandable, readable, and and, and accurate to to the Greek. So, my point right now is that it's difficult to place translation. Exclusively in these categories, okay? Because there is crossover. They both have advantages and disadvantages. Um, NIV again is formal in instance. ESV is functional in some instances. Both strive for accuracy and, and readability. The one thing with uh, with a formal equivalent like an ESV or NSAB. Sometimes the reading gets choppy, you know, and, and you, sometimes you can tell as I'm reading, I'm like, "But you'll miss something." NIV kind of eliminates that. It's much; it's the syntax is so much th- more familiar to us. Where some of these other versions are trying to stick closer to the Greek and put those, keep the word order. You could, especially with New American Standard, it, it's kind of wooden reading and, and choppy and hard in some places. But that's just kind of a more stylistic, I guess, in that way. Um, So those are the big umbrellas. There are others. Again, the the closest you can get, I guess, the Hebrew and Greek is interlinear. And that's kind of what I'm reading from when I'm reading the Greek. And you guys are looking at me like, what (laughs) What was that saying? Um, But there's still word order in that as well. Um, Again, the formal equivalents. Here it is. They try to reflect the formal structures of the original texts. Word, order, grammar, all of that, as close as they possibly can. That's their concern. The translators for the ESV, King James, New King James, New American Standard, Legacy Standard, they want you to see the Hebrew and the Greek through their translations. like right? To know that... Technically, in terms of the grammar, this is as, we're getting close, as close as we can to what the original readers were reading, right? Does that make sense? <clears throat> they stick as close as possible to the original. And here's a big, big thing. If you don't remember anything else about the formal equivalence, remember this. They work very hard at trying to maintain the distinction between translating, which they want to do, and commentating. And so when you get into versions like Newton, NIV, but especially NLT, they they add a little bit of commentary to it. It's not that it's not biblical, but they want to help you understand more. You're going to see examples of this. And that's why we want to say, well, if we're ESV people, the uh, the translators try to do as little of that as possible. In some instances, they do that. We don't have time to look at passages that actually do that. Um, but take my word for it. They do. Um, but that's a big thing. They want to translate. The philosophy, for the most part, is to simply translate the words, phrases, and sentences without adding clarifying statements. They want you to figure it out. So they're going to use words like propitiation. So, well, what's that mean? I mean? Let me do this. So, um, uh, let they might seem a bit more ambiguous as you're reading because we're maybe not as familiar with these things so that's that's what 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 um, the the formal translation wants to do a really kind of good example of this is second Corinthians 5:14 so NIVs go to 2 Corinthians 5:14 ESV, go to 5.14. Who has ESV? Leela? 2 Corinthians 5.14. Let me read the Greek first. So here's the Greek translation. It says this. Um, the Greek reads this. For the love of Christ holds together us. <laughs> so that holds together is is a word in Greek that means constrains or, or compels, okay? So that that's what that means. So for the love of Christ holds together us. Who has ESV? Lila? For the love of Christ controls
1: us because we've concluded this that one
0: is God called, therefore all of Okay, yeah, so just that first part. For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. Now, NIV. For 514? Yeah, just the first. For Christ's love compels
1: us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died.
0: Okay. For Christ's love compels us. Now, this is kind of subtle, but here the NIV guys want us to understand whose love is is controlling and compelling us for sure, because when we say in the Greek, it says the love of Christ holds us together. ESV says the love of Christ compels us. Compels us. Um, for the translators, when they say the love of Christ, that can mean a couple of different things. It could mean does it mean Christ's love for me compels me to live that way? Or is it my love for Christ? You know, the, the love of Christ. My Is it my love for Christ or his love for me that compels me? Well, if you read the context, you, you, you see it's the first one. But if you just read the SV, somebody might say, you know, the love of Christ. Well, because I love Jesus so much, I want to live this way. Right? NIV says, for Christ's love. It tells us right away, it's Jesus' love that compels us. right? It's not the love of Christ, which could mean my love, or certainly, and it does mean, his love for us. NIV tries to make it a little more clear. It says, Christ's love compels us, controls us. His love for us. Do you see that? A little subtle difference, but that's kind of what you... But the ESV is sticking closer to the Greek than the NIV. But they're still saying the same thing in that way, so that's good. Subtle but clear, more clear difference. Formal equivalents try hard to translate the Greek word with the same or as close as possible English word. Again, sometimes that makes for choppy reading. They make you work to figure it out. That's a big, big difference, um, which which is good. Functional, again, NIV. The purpose for these guys is to convey the meaning of the original in the target language. That's what they really want to do is convey the meaning, not just the words, but even the meaning. They're concerned with meaning, clarity, readability, accuracy. It's all part of what they want to do. The one caution is they could be a bit more interpretive than formal equivalents. So if you're more concerned... I just want what the Greek and Hebrew say. Then you go with these Bibles like this. If you want... The idea behind that it doesn't mean that it's not accurate, and they're not adding to God's word; they're clarifying it for us. Then you go with the NIV or CSB type type of Bible in that way. Um, the challenge the challenge for these guys is they don't want to get is, is not to get overly interpretive, like put too much commentary in there, make it too clear, because then you're getting away from what the Greek says. and we don't want that, right? We want to stay as close as we can. So that's the challenge. But they ask, what did the author mean and how can we convey it clearly and accurately? So, an example of this is in Acts twenty-seven seventeen. Paul's on his way to Rome facing trial. That's kind of the context. And NIV, you know, we just, we well, could do this with all the, this is just, NIV is the best example of a, um, dynamic equivalent. ESB is a great example of formal equivalent. That's why we're doing this. And then we're going to look at one more called the NLT. But Acts twenty seven seventeen. Um, this is going to sound strange to you. That word is sirtis, just so you know. Um, so in the Greek, it says this. Fearing lest into the sirtis they might fall off. That's the Greek. Now, what does uh, English Standard Version say, somebody? Does anybody turn there?
1: Oh, wait. I'll <laughs> say um, Just that one part. Yeah, just that one part. When they were running around on the CRTS, they lowered the gear.
0: I'm sorry, what was that?
1: They were really then lowered the gear. Uh,
0: no, before that, like the. Oh, I'm sorry. Then the, uh, fearing that they would run around on the CRTS, they lowered the gear. Okay. And then NIV, Gloria. Yes, twenty-seven, seventeen. What does yours say? That's all. Just that's good. Yeah. What's the matter? Oh
1: no, I'm twenty-seven, just, seventeen. Right What's in the it middle say? Right
0: until the sentence it starts. So the men hoisted
1: it aboard. That's
0: what it says. That's oh, for, and yours, 20, Acts twenty-seven, seventeen. Yeah. Oh, it's the next one down. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. That's all right. So yeah. So the Greek says, fearing lest into the seeratus they might fall off. That's the original Greek. That's the Greek. Now. The big question what's a Syrtis? <laughs> that's the thing. And the syrtis, syrtis, that's something we would have to look up and what, what does that mean? It, it's like it means a narrow sea bank, a ridge of sand that's located off the African coast, so it tells you where, the North African coast, so it tells you where they were. And that's, that's the, the, the Syrtis is that area, and it's kind of unique to that particular area where the sand bars come up and ships could easily run aground. And so they were afraid of that. So if you're reading ESV, all it says is fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis. What? So I'm gonna have to like, what's Ciratus? I gotta look up Cirrus. NIV helps you because it says, because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of the search. So now you know what a sandbar is for the most part. That's you know the sand comes up and you know there's there's a kind of a danger. They help you just a little bit. Sandbars is not in the original Greek. Now do you see the difference? So if you want close to the original, ESV, King James, they'll they're gonna stay closer to that. They're not gonna help you out a little bit. Now, the New Living Translation, which we're going to get into in just a second, goes even farther because they really want you to know and not have to work at anything. Uh, NLT says they were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars off the Syrtis off the African coast. So sandbars, African coasts are not in the original at all. But that's not wrong because they're just giving us more information. That's where they were. That's, this is a place that's known for these kind of sandbars and these, this place, the Syrtis, where ships, if they're not careful, could run aground. And that's what they were worried about. You see how that works? That's why. Um, if, if, if you're just reading the SV, you're going to have to, what's Syrtis? Sandbars, gives you idea. Sandbars, located north of Africa, it's known for that. gives you a lot more. But they're commentating a little bit. And that's what you want to be careful of, I guess, if, if you're concerned about that, if you want to stay as close as you can to the Greek. Um, let's see. Acts 28, 11, and just part of that verse, too. This is the ship, just a description of the ship that they on. So this is just giving you an idea of translation there. So um, what, what does uh, read that. Read Acts 28:11. Just laying please, if you have it. Yeah. Um, after three months, we in a ship that had
1: wintered in the island, A ship of with the twin gods
0: as a figurehead. Okay, with the twin gods as a figurehead. That's all we're going to look at at this, because this is what they do. So, the original Greek says this in terms of the twin gods. Twin gods as a figurehead, um, with the twin brothers. That's the Greek. That's how it's translated, with the twin brothers. ESV, twin gods as figureheads. So that's what the ship would have, the twin gods as figureheads. Now, what does the NIV say?
1: What, 11?
0: Yeah. Okay, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered
1: in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with a figurehead of the twin gods,
0: Castor. What did they just do there? Did you see that? What did the NIV translators do for us? They named them. They named them. And it's not wrong. That would give that, that gives just a little more insight that helps you understand a little bit better the context. That's not in the original, the only in the original twin brothers, which the idea being translated to the twin god figureheads, because they had them up there as those symbols of whatever that power the superstition they had. These are the twin gods that are gonna see us through. So ESV says twin gods as figureheads. That's fine, but then NIV says the twin gods Castor and Pollux. It's not wrong. Those are the names of those twin gods. Those were the gods that they served. They looked to to get them through, so they just help you a little bit more in that way. Does that make sense, Andy? Yeah, like my ESV has some, uh, footnote footnote, footnote. Um, it has
1: uh, the Greek gods Castor and Pollux.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's great. Uh, the, the notes like that because they do want to help you. They do want to, have, so that makes a little more sense. Oh, those were those twin gods that those that they believed in that we're going to get them through. Now it's not in the original, but it's not wrong because that's who they are. But you see what I'm trying to say? That's what that's. These are kind of the differences. So if you're a purist, you're going to say, "Well, I just want the original, and I'll figure the rest out." And that's fine. I think that's where we should be. But then there's others that say, you know, they're, they're, it's it's helping me understand a little bit better. Does that make sense? Am I wrong? I don't know. I, that, but I do use ESV for sure. Um, I wish I knew my, you know, my Greek. Okay, so, but now do you understand this? So, when you're going out to get a translation, you have to ask yourself, what do I want? Do I want something that's really going to be, try to stick as close to the original? Or do I want something that's going to, you know, they want to stick close, they want to be accurate, but it's going to give me a little more insight and maybe a little more understanding so I don't have to even work as hard to figure out what this is already telling me. Right, you know what I mean? So that's one of the things. One more, um, and this is a big one, though. This is where you get into some controversy, where you can lose something in the translation. And it's important because it deals with a doctrine. And so turn with me to 1 John 4.10. For me, it's an issue. And one of the reasons I would say stick with ESP New King James, King James. No, legacy standard. First John four ten. First John 4:10. Okay. I'm gonna read the Greek first. Sent his son of him propitiation for the sins of us, and that word for propitiation is helios. Okay, that's an important Greek word, and it and that's it's translated. Exactly. It's translated like propitiation. ESV reader. Somebody give me that in the ESV. ESV. Yeah, ESV. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be
1: the propitiation for our
0: sins. Okay. NIV reader. Okay.
1: So this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an attending sacrifice.
0: Aha! Do you see that? An atoning sacrifice versus propitiation. So Greek is propitiation. That word halios is translated propitiation in Greek. Okay, and and this is where like the theology comes into it. And this is one of those areas, at least for me, I have a difficult difficulty with. ESV says he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that's a very close translation to the original. And that means propitiation means an appeasing sacrifice. It is an appeasement or a satisfaction that involves sacrifice where the wrath of God is satisfied as as it's poured out. Because because if he doesn't pour out his wrath, withholds that justice, then he's not God. He can't be truly God because he's not punishing sin in that way. So he's pleased. To, to He's appeased. It's like when somebody really deserves punishment and you kind of let them go, something's missing, isn't it? When they get the punishment they deserve, that's satisfying in a way because they're paying the price for what they did wrong. Right? You know what I mean? So God's wrath and justice must be served and his wrath must be like satisfied appeased in that way that's what propitiation means so so therefore because his wrath is satisfied by Christ now we can be reconciled to him and that's that really captures propitiation that's that word hélios in the greek okay it captures that idea In the NIV, when it says an atoning sacrifice and listen it, there is of that word I don't know why the translators made that decision that's something to maybe look into they could probably explain it better than I could and it might make more sense but atonement while there's elements of satisfaction sacrifice it really means to cover our sins are covered atoned for by the by the by the blood of Christ so he paid that price for our sins and it gets that across, but not the idea that God's wrath was satisfied so much as our sins are covered. When you talk about an atoning sacrifice, does that make sense to you? Right. That's what atonement means. Cafe, to, 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 to cover. It's, it's a payment. We still do that today. If we, Andy and I might go get a drink later and Andy would say, hey, I'll cover your tab. You're going to cover me. <laughs> right? I got you. I paid for it. And that's the idea of atoning sacrifice, atonement. So that's like, I just struggle with that. Propitiation. Now, it might be harder. What's propitiation? A lot of us, you have to look it up. You have to figure it out. Does anybody have footnotes in the ASV? What does your footnote say, Andy? Does it say atoning sacrifice or anything? No. Okay. So that's, when we say it's more accurate, it sticks closer to the original, that's a perfect example. And there's many of these kinds of examples throughout. It does have that in Ligonier's ESP. Atoning.
1: Well, no, it says the footnote for propitiation is satisfying the anger of God. It's in the footnote.
0: Yeah, so, and that's good, and that's good, too. So it's there. But that idea of propitiation is satisfying the wrath of God, um, and then you have to. They wrestle. They like they go on these committees. They go back and forth. Should we use this? Here's how it will be. Why we? So they make these decisions. They have reasons for that. So I don't want to say you just want to throw that out like the NIV, but ESV is closer to the year original, right? That's why we would say that. Okay, Um, good. That's, those are, we could do this online. I think it's kind of fun, because it's really, like, you could see the differences, and there's, you know, text after text, and there's some places where the NIV is more formal, like I said earlier, than the the ESP in different areas. We just don't have time to do that. That would take a whole week of classes. But this is just giving you a flavor. So when you're thinking about choosing a translation, which one do I want? Which one is best going to serve me? Do I want it closer? Do I want accuracy, readability, and a little more understanding? Or we come to what's called the natural language. This is um, the New Living Translation. How many of you heard of the NLT? Okay. That's good. No, no, get that out of here. It was started out as being a um, revision of the Living Translation, which I don't even want to call that translation, but.
1: You mean the Living Bible?
0: Yeah, the Living Bible. But this committee, as they started, they got became very concerned with being accurate, but very readable in bringing the language, the idioms to. To a place where we could really understand, almost like in our language, we can understand that something, what, what's an idiom that we have that would be crazy to people, you know, down the road? I don't know if you can think of anything. <laughs> I can think of one thing right now. But they, they try to take our modern language and and put it in a way that, you know, the original hears. This this is how they would hear it, how we would hear some. They try to translate the text in a way that the original hearer would have heard it. That's the big goal for natural language. New Living Translation is a perfect example of this. They do try to maintain accuracy while using modern language and idioms. Now the problem with this, it does become very interpretive, and they do that on purpose. They want to make it easier. They don't want you to work to understand the meaning while trying to main while same time trying to maintain some accuracy, and they do to some points. I kind of like the NLT in some ways, but the more I read it, it was just like, man, I don't know how you have that. No, I am embarrassed to say it. I I don't know that I'd throw mine out.
1: I mean,
0: like, it would have been I know, I know. I asked Andy to buy a whole case of it because it's so readable. And if you're talking to people that are, you're witnessing to, baby Christians, it might be good for it. But I'm kind of changing my mind a little bit on that. Um, it, it does clarify some, especially in the Old Testament, some things. And use modern modern language to mean the same thing or approximately the same thing that meant back then. So it's kind of helpful in that way, but it takes you out of the the milieu of the Old Testament, and it's almost too much. Like the the, the whole context of what they were, how they were living in that day. You need some of that when you're reading scripture. You need to know that it can't be totally modernized when you're reading back. It's like when people. They're so anachronistic. They make movies now, and they have like feminist attitudes when they're recreating a movie from the 1300s. It doesn't work, but that's what they do all the time. All these Bible movies, like Joseph, they're they're infusing. What's that latest Bible movie? I don't know what it is, but apparently it's kind of like you have to be really careful about that because they'll use like modern day attitudes towards certain things, and kind of just. Put them in there at that time, and you know that's they're not being true. So, yeah, the chosen, something like that. Yeah, chosen does it. You know, the chosen does that for sure. It does that for sure because um, in the one scene, it is it is the the women when 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 they lower the man through the roof for Jesus to be healed. The men didn't want to do that, but there was the woman who said, "Listen, here's what you're going to do. You're going to lower him through that," and so. Uh, you yeah, know, that's anachronistic. I'm not saying the NLT is anachronistic, but they, they take you out of that that in some ways. It's too modern in some ways. Even though they try to be accurate, even though they try to get make it very, very readable and understandable. And, uh, yeah. I I, I I wouldn't say yes, go out and get one. Maybe if you are well versed in scripture and you kinda of use it as a supplement or something like that, that'd be fine. But if you're I'd rather have you work, like, to know as a Christian. That's an ESV or even older NIV. But nevertheless, it does become very interpreted. They do it on purpose. They want you to hear the text the same way the original audience would have heard it in their language. So they ask the question, how do I say it? that our modern readers will understand it the same way the original readers did. So they'll talk in our language, try to use idioms. That, that we understand, and that's kind of where we get into problem. The problem is, um, you have to ask: Are you reading the Bible, or are you reading what the translators think about it? And that's a that's a big deal. So, that, so you want to definitely be careful with the um, NLT. Uh, it also uses gender inclusive language, which again, gender inclusive. Um, some of the pronoun type of things, I want to be tough on the ones that do use it across the board. And so they'll say he, she, for God type of thing. That's simple. That's wrong. That's bad. But there are words in Greek that are generic words. So sometimes when they say brother, they mean brother and sister. So I don't have a problem necessarily if in that context in the way that's being used in a generic way, Paul's talking to the churches of brothers. He's not just talking to the dudes, he's talking to everybody there. So I don't have a problem if they say, say brothers and sisters. I don't personally, um, because that's a, that's what's being intended. Um someone the the man who walks in the in the council of the wicked. That word for man doesn't it's 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 a generic word. For mankind. So if they say the person, I don't necessarily have a problem with that because, you know, that that's what it means. He's not just talking to men; he's talking to all people in that way. So that's what these guys try to do. They don't go the other direction and feminize it or use the pronouns in wrong, sinful ways like for God in in that way. Those you want to stay away from. That so, just so you know, um, they, it, if they do it instead of the, con- look at the context and how it's used. Um, I don't have a problem with man. Do you, with that? Eh. <laughs> he does a little bit. I knew you would. But I, I'm not going to quibble too much over that particular thing. But you can figure out mankind. So um, NLT is too modern. It doesn't speak directly to the original culture. It pulls books out of their original culture and context, I think it does. So I, I wouldn't recommend it for that. So for instance, uh, Genesis, but it's, they still try to be accurate. So Genesis 27:23. if somebody wants to go to the uh, ESV for that. Genesis 23. Let me read from the uh, NLT, just so you get a flavor for it. NLT says this. God wiped every living thing off the earth. There it is. Wiped everything out. That's how we talk today. He wiped it out, right? Uh, People, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground. That makes sense to us, doesn't it? And the birds of the sky all were destroyed. The only people that survived were Noah and those with him in the boat. Ah, Read the ESV version. You know what? I'll read the ESV. I have the ESV too. Um. So he wiped every living thing off the earth. He blotted. This is ESP. He blotted every living thing that was on the face of the ground. That's more accurate to the original text, but like when you, he blotted, that's to wipe out is more for us, so much more relatable. That's what NLT does in that way. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And it's important to have the ark, not the boat. It's a big deal. It's a deal. Um, so it's just those, that, that kind of thing. And I'm saying this because NLT is becoming very popular in evangelical circles. Churches are starting to use them. Preachers are preaching from them. They're finding it really helpful because it's so easy to understand. It is like on a 6th you know, to 8th grade reading level, so it is easier in that way. Um, but I, I would just put a big caution flag up there. Initially, I was excited about it in some ways. I don't know why, but I came to my senses. and you know, So here we go. That's it. That. The last thing I want to talk about is the, um, any questions so far? Is this making sense? Is this helpful? So now when you think about purchasing a Bible or looking for a translation, not just because Pastor Joe said so, this is why Pastor Joe said so. And now you can say, hmm, I like formal equivalents better than (laughs) dynamic. Anyway, um, what I do want you to stay away from at all costs, I think, are the paraphrase. I know. I... The Living Bible, 1970 I read that when I was a kid. I kinda liked it. I mean I, I can't you have to understand something about paraphrase, and I don't even like calling them translations because they don't have translation committees. Usually it's just one person. Oftentimes they don't translate from original Greek and Hebrew. They don't even know Greek and Hebrew. They'll translate from a 1901 ES um oh, and it I forget. But an early early version. American Standard, I think. But, um, so, paraphrase, so like Living Bible, the Message, um, the, new, the New Living, wait, no, not, it's the Good News Translation. I mean, Billy Graham loved that. If you went to a Billy Graham place, you would, not, uh, the passion, you must stay away completely. You can't use a passion. That is the worst yeah, that's ever. Why,
1: that's why okay. been
0: using. Contemporary English version. Now listen, here's here's the problem with these guys. They're kind of cool to read. They really are. Because like, man, they're so relatable. It's like I'm just reading something from today. That's the problem too. Paraphrase. Usually it's one author. It's almost like say, okay, Pastor Joe's going to, you know, translate from the ESV but give his own take on it or whatever. That's basically what it is, and that's what happens. Um, The message, very casual to translating the original, very free. It's not meant to replace any of the current versions. So um, let's just look at a few passages just for fun on these things. So the message, if somebody wants to go, if you have your computer, Kev, type in the message. um, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. And then if somebody has the NIV, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, and that's, this is Eugene Peterson. But these are very, very popular, very popular. Even, oh, it's so easy to read the Bible. Check this out. But they're dangerous. They're very, very dangerous. They're not doctrinally sound. At least on the committees, on the translation committees, you do have people with different theological um, Presuppositions and and positions, and they battle and they go back and forth and they and they, they work through it. These pair, it's usually just one dude, and they just kind of give their take. So they're going to have their doctrinal commitments, their uh, own ideas. So, First Corinthians six nine and ten from uh, the message.
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird because it has it listed nine through eleven. So I'm not sure where it's and ten but I'll read the. Okay. <laughs> Don't you realize that this is not the way to live? Unjust people who don't care about God will not be joining in his kingdom. Those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it, don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. A number of you know from experience what I'm talking about. For not so long ago, you were on that list. Since then, you've been cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus, our Master, our Messiah
0: and by our God present in us, the Spirit. Okay. Yeah, I should have stopped you b- before that last paragraph, set, uh, verse, but that's, yeah, but remember what he said. Now, NIV, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10.
1: Okay. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor uh, idolaters, nor, adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers, nor inherit the kingdom of God. Okay.
0: Lainey, do you have that in the ESV? Mm-hmm. Um, or
1: do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor, nor men in practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards,
0: nor louvers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. that is so much closer. That's very close to the Greek. Pretty good. Kevin, what did you say? Just read the first couple again. First, just, first, 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 yeah.
1: Don't you realize that this is not the way to live? Unjust people who don't really care about God will not be joining in the kingdom. Those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it, don't qualify as citizens in
0: God. Does that sound like anything <laughs> that you just read? But that's a. People say, oh, the message is wonderful, Eugene Peterson. No, it's not. The Living Bible. This dude Ken Taylor was an Armenian, just an Armenian, flaming Armenian. So he he didn't use manuscripts. Uh, he used the 1901 American Standard Version. That's what did, used his own foundation. So these these versions, people love Living Bible. But you're bringing in your own personal presuppositions, doctrinal commitments to it. So um, if somebody wants to like type up Living Bible. And then just one verse, Acts thirteen forty-eight. And then I want NIV and ESV to go Acts thirteen uh, forty-eight. There, there are so many passages we could do, but I guess Kevin, you're going to be our uh, designated paraphrase version reader since you have your computer. That's that's Living Bible, um, Acts. Chapter 13, verse 48. am living well, Yeah, I'm no,
1: sorry, living Bible. <laughs> translation
0: only. Oh, do you? Isn't this good? This is oh, good boy. stuff. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this one will really be good for us, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so got, it's okay if you don't have. I could. Um. It's not one he had
1: hand. Okay. Um, it's just like, that, like every translation imaginable except that one. <laughs> <laughs> Acts thirteen.
0: Acts thirteen forty-eight. This is living Bible. These are hugely popular too. I mean they do not not just sell a couple of versions, I mean that are you know numbers, that millions sell into the millions. Do you have it? When the
1: Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and rejoiced in Paul's message, and as many as wanted eternal life believed. <laughs>
0: NIV <laughs> Acts thirteen forty-eight. 7. Gloria, I Gloria read that. I was like in a little yeah. shock. Yeah. Gloria. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Lays E.S.P. Uh, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the
1: word
0: of the Lord, and as many were appointed to eternal life. Believed. See, Kevin, as many what? Eternal life. As many wanted. Yeah, eternal life? you see that yeah. he's Armenian. Yeah, flaming, and he comes through. And so people are reading this like, "Well, yeah. I guess I want eternal life." You know, it's predestination. As many as he appointed, those that he chose, those are the ones that are going to eternal life. That's a big, big deal. This is why I say, don't even, don't even play NLT. You can mess with if like, you so. I wouldn't even mess with the with the paraphrase just do uh, I think maybe we'll do a couple more um, oh yeah if you if you're still in the living Bible Kevin What's that? if you're still in the living Bible um, John 12 fifteen and then just laney uh, John 12 fifteen for ESV. because this is just very interesting um, and this will be the last one we'll'll we'll, Look at it in this way. Um 12, 15. John twelve fifteen. Oh Oh that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. But this so many people were you're not getting to what the Bible actually is saying, and this this is the one I would say stay away from at all costs. Don't you know it's just so easy to read or read to your kids. Don't do that. <coughs> so. Okay. Twelve fifteen.
1: Don't be afraid of your king, and people of Israel, for he will come to you meekly,
0: sitting on a donkey's colt. Okay, Lainey.
1: Oh, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's
0: colt. Okay. So what it might. He, What he just did is he completely, completely, completely mi- missed the whole context and the whole meaning of fear not. He said, don't be afraid. Is that what it said, Kevin? Yep. What's it say? Don't be, don't be afraid of your
1: king. king.
0: Don't be afraid of your king. Don't be afraid of your king. He's coming. Fear not. Because th- he is coming. Because he is coming. That's the confidence. Fear not. We have confidence he's coming. Don't be afraid of your king, because it's See? But people are reading this and pretending they're reading the Bible or a translation. So I would say stay away from all those good news. We could do this all night. Uh, again, there's lots of issues. Contemporary English, CEV, stay away from that. Um, it's simplistic. It's not accurate. They're misleading, for sure. I don't know what the intentions of these people are, but these Bibles catch on. I, I, there is that one. I think it's the good news translation. At the Billy Graham Crusades, that's what they would give people to take home to read as their Bible. You can't do that. I mean, you can't do that. The last one we're going to end with is the Passion Translation. That's just awful. That's awful. It's connected with Bethel. It's one man, Brian Simmons. Uh, Simmons, and and you you could read this. I'm not going to go ahead and read everything that's about it online, but um, he has no concern. And I did pick up a Passion, the Psalms Passion, but after a couple of Psalms reading, I'm like, Wait a minute, this is not at all, but what's he talking about? I threw that away. Um, I wish I have kept it just for study purposes. But uh, he has no concern whatsoever for any kind of textual accuracy. He inserts material into the text. It's worse than, almost worse than the paraphrase because he puts his own ideas in that. Like, here's what I think it's saying, and I'm going to put this in here, and I want you to read it. The thing is that Bethel churches... Use this. I don't know how extensively, but I know that church, he's kind of connected with them or they made a connection with him. And so they use this and it's a way of like, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Don't read from the Passion Translation. We could look at many, many verses, but we're not going to do that. Um, I'm I'm just putting that out there and the reason i'm stressing this is because passion version is becoming popular amongst young evangelicals the other paraphrases have been around for a long long time we remember them growing up living translation all that living bible um but this is the latest like kind of cool kid on the block stay away from passion translation it's awful i don't care who's using it if macarthur uses it run away i mean i, I don't if you're at the they're using passion translation up there it is one man it's one man it's like it's like me translating and saying here's what I think this is what it means I might be right in some places but I'll probably be totally wrong in other places especially without theological training especially without understanding no training in the languages just awful awful deadly you know oh it's so readable and it's so it's so cool you're not reading what the what the manuscripts were're were bringing forth so Stay away from that. Okay. Um, one last thing before I let you go: inclusive Bible. I'm not even going to read the description on that. Stay away from that. That's that's the, the those versions I was talking to you about where they do the politically correct pronouns, LGBTQ stands in it, critical race theories in it. Stay away from that. Um, study Bibles. Just as we leave, does anybody have a study Bible? Uh, I, I brought my. Reformation Study Bible. Yeah. yeah, just so you know, and it's ESV. Just so you know, they're they're good, but just um, understand those notes are not inspired. So the notes that you have here, they could be very helpful. The study Bibles are great for introducing the book, given the context, given the history. Um, Timeline, the purpose for writing, it's wonderful. Those notes do help clarify some of the things in the text. You know, Um, commentate a little bit on on some of the passages, but you always have to understand the study Bible you get is going to reflect the theological convictions and positions of the people that put it out. And that's always, you know, you have to be very... So the Schofield Reference Bible, that's... Totally dispensate, but it was the most popular Bible, and one of the first... Around the Reformation there was, I think, the Geneva... Had notes at the end, but but like in modern times, it was a Scofield Reference Bible. That dude was a dispensationalist. That's part of what made dispensationalists so popular for the longest time. Because when it came, and and I'll also say like John MacArthur's. Now, when you read on on soteriology, on the doctrine of salvation, those passages are solid. But when you're in First and Second Thessalonians, Matthew twenty-eight, or Matthew twenty-four, um, Revelation, you're going to get. A dispensational. So even with the MacArthur study Bible, you need to be careful. The Reform study, you know where you're coming from if it's Reformed, because we're Reformed. But a dispensationalist is going to say, Watch out for that Reformation study Bible. They're going to say the opposite end of us. So study Bibles have their place, and they're good, and they are helpful if you know and understand where the um, not necessarily the translators, where the commentary is coming from. So I said the ESV Study Bible is a good one. That's that's Reformed perspective. The NIV Study Bible, I don't know. It's just it's it's okay. You have to be careful. Don't again wonderful with introductions, give themes, outlines of the chapters, um, nice clarifying notes, commentary in a little bit, but you you have to be cautious with them as well. Don't just if you're not believing in the rapture if you get the wrong one. <laughs> I know we don't have any dispies in here, so <laughs> obviously just a little jab, just fun. Any questions? Was this helpful? Does this help a little bit? Do you see that? I, that's all I wanted to do for tonight is give that to you. You have that that chart there, so if you're talking, if somebody asked you, "Hey man, what, what Bible version do you think I should get? Like, you know, what's a good one for me to have?" I would always stick. I would stick with the formal equivalents for the reasons we <laughs> talked about. But I wouldn't say, you know if you pick up an NIV, you're going to hell, either. So <laughs> <I'm> t- <laughs> you know I'm messing uh, The <laughs> Amplified. The amplified's OK. Um, you know, the, the, it's more formal equivalent. It's on here, a uh, broadly formal equivalent translation with explanatory alternate amplifications. So like love indoors with patients, and serenity, love is kind and thoughtful. It's not jealous or envious. Love does not brag or proud, arrogant. It's uh, Sometimes it helps if I'm preparing for a sermon and want to emphasize something like that because it'll say, um, it's not self-seeking nor provoked, so it's not overly sensitive or easily angered. And that's true. That's true. It just kind of amplifies what's already there. It uses almost like synonyms for, for the words that are there to help us out. So uh, I'm not... Crazy about, but it's hard
1: to read it a is. chapter, but if you pick out a verse, as long as you're careful, you know that you're not just picking out Yeah, a verse.
0: yeah, but yeah. It, they're yeah. not they're not adding to the translation. They're just right. giving you like uh, emphasis, like I said, more like synonyms for that that love, and you know, this is what it is, and this is what it is. So, it it has its purpose in place. But for you know, for for study, for reading, preaching, um, I would I would definitely stick to the formal. Equivalence again, I'm um, more NIV, especially 95 and before that. I have no problem with really, for the most part, some things we talked about this evening. Um, NLT, those kinds of translations, watch out, paraphrase, just throw those out. Gloria. I'm curious you know anything about like, how often the
1: When reading,
0: going back and forth reading the NID um, versions, I noticed that a couple of the words were different between ours and mine and so. Like earlier versions? I
1: don't know. Yeah, I guess. I don't
0: know who, I'm assuming the really newer version, but. What, yeah, when newer, sometimes, that's why there's no, per, everybody updates. Newer information becomes available. The translation committee would say that, you know, th- these words or this section needs to be refined. So you'll have updates, sometimes major updates that almost end up being... Every translation comes from an earlier translation. We didn't get into the history of all this. That's, it wasn't for tonight. That, that would take us a lot longer. But that's how, how, how they... Translations come out of older ones, and you have newer ones that are more refined maybe a little more accurate in certain places. Most of the times, they're not major overhauls, but they do revise. Some are dangerous revisions when they're going back and say we're going to be more inclusive. But from what I understand with, with the NIV, from 95, I think 84 and 95 are more closely sticking to the original translation philosophy. But I think in 2018, they updated it. And some they went back and changed some of the word or verbiage or maybe be more uh, gender inclusive or pronouns so that's what they do and i'm you know they're they're always off not often but they do update their uh, translate to make them more readable you know some some of the idioms they had like the nlt or even niv that would have been popular like in the 70s, they might update them a little bit more to be more readable for us today, that kind of thing. So that's what I have on that. Do you, are you looking at something specific? No,
1: I'm just, I was just wondering if like older versions of ESV or NIV or, I don't
0: know, if you have the options of like going back. I know ESV is pretty steady all along the way, um, the minor revisions, but and same with New American Standard. Um, but I, I, I would want to talk to somebody who knows more than I do on this with the NIV. Because I know they said after 95, because I'm not an NIV user, but people that, that use it say, if you could get 95 and earlier, it's more the, the newer ones have kind of gone a little bit off from what they, what they, how they translated earlier. But you, I want you to talk to somebody who's more familiar with NIV background.
1: I have one thing. Uh, a friend of ours, he's a, uh, a Jewish Christian, but he's like a scholar. He speaks like Hebrew, Greek, all these languages. And when I got an ESV, when I was in King James, he said, I only have one problem. When I was looking at her NIV, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his, in the NIV it says, the one and only son mm-hmm. In the ESV, it says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. But in the King James, it's God gave his only begotten son. And he said that word begotten implies uniqueness. Uniqueness. One of a kind. That, he said to drop that word. Is that's
0: a big money. deal. He that is a big deal. a big deal. That is a big deal. Because that, that word, Monogase. I'm trying to think of the Greek word, is that whole idea of the one and only unique son of one God, of one of a kind. That is important. So like even other, like even the good ones, there's always something that you could find. So, and that's what you always want to improve on. And sometimes that's good to have compare with other versions. Like get the um, parallel Bible sometimes. It's really helpful um, because it, it does bring it all together. There's one Bible called the Net Bible, it's completely new. I have one of these, and it has every single footnote, every translation, every way something could be translated in every one. It's so good, but it's like, you know, you really have to be into to the Word. So they'll say, this text says this, this manuscript says this, so ESV uses this, and you know, that, yeah, I, I, it's called the um, New English Translation, Net Bible, N-E-T. It's like this thick, but it has all the footnotes, everything. Yeah, I should have brought that in. I wish I would have. So, hope this was helpful. Let me pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you and praise you. Thank you for this group, Lord, for enduring, for um, sticking through uh, this study. I know there's times that it could be technical and a little bit difficult. I pray, Lord, that we made it um, accessible and helpful, Lord God. And I pray especially that we are prepared to really give an answer for the hope that lies within us. We know that there are all kinds of challenges to the faith and to your word, Lord God, if they can undermine your word, that takes away the the foundation and that plank, Lord God. And so I want us to be, by your grace, um, competent in these ways to, to not be intimidated, to not be Uh, overly um, shaken, Lord, when these kinds of challenges are presented before us because there is great reason and great hope and to, to trust in your word, that it is your word, Lord God. And I hope that that came through in this series as we talked about the manuscripts, as we talked about canon, and even as we talked about our Bible translations, Lord God. So we do thank you and praise you. I thank you for everybody here taking the time to come out. Just pray that they are edified through this and you are glorified in all of this.